Hello and welcome to Honest Theology, a podcast where we ask real questions about a real faith and a real God. Today we're continuing our conversation all about the church and where we are today. Oh, that's a great question. I love that. <laughs> like the Empire and yeah. the Rebellion. Yeah, you're going well, Star Wars territory again, you. you. We just like, need to no one's listening. <laughs> we need to regroup really quickly. I'm Paul Serstad with Dr. Hugh Osgood. Let's be honest. So... Hugh, we talked a bit about it on the on the last episode, but I want to delve a little bit more into these denominations. Oh, okay. Um, we don't ne- want any more one minute church history. No, 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 no you more. Catch me out. No, we won't. We won't. <laughs> we might. We might, but not in one minute. We might do it in. You know, what was the longest podcast again? What was it? <laughs> I went forever, didn't it? Hey, what was it? Thirty six hours. We'll do that in thirty seven hours, just to be the record. All oh, right. Okay. Um, no, we're gonna. Uh, how many? Like main denominations, because we, we seem to have like denominations, then sub denominations, <laughs> don't we? Like Protestants are like a lot of sub denominations of Protestants. So how many main denominations do we have? That's just impossible to say, Paul. It really is. Really, cause... I was going to go straight with three. Ah, oh, well, well, how were you going to get to your three? What were you going to say? I was going to go for Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant. Oh well, yes. If you put everything into that, yeah, yeah, you could do that. Well, that wasn't too hard to count, was it? It's like the Trinity. One, two, three. Boom. Oh, that's like the Trinity again, because there's three and it's all one faith. Look at that. Yeah, you're a genius, aren't you? Really? That's like partialism, isn't it? Anyway, um, so what, okay, are they, would we say that there are three main bulk <coughs> denominations? Yeah, you, I can see where you're going with that. You can say that, yes, there's that whole Catholic stream, and you're probably thinking of Roman Catholicism mm-hmm. at that point. Then you're looking at the Orthodox and you're looking at Protestantism. When we say Roman Catholicism, is there a difference between Catholicism <coughs> and Roman? Yeah, because you can have different expressions of Catholicism. Catholic just means universal. Yeah. So some people have embraced that terminology and will consider themselves Catholic Church. Sometimes just to do with their churchmanship, even though they don't particularly hold an allegiance to Rome. So, But the... The style of style, the style of faith would be more akin to the Roman Catholic Church yes. or yeah, the Protestant generally, Church. If someone's talking like that and they want to take that into their name, if you like, and refer to themselves as a Catholic Church, they're normally looking at that style, emphasis on tradition, trying to follow through on history, mm-hmm. but maybe not with that same allegiance to Rome. So you do get that terminology coming up, talking about does Catholics. allegiance to Rome mean the Pope? Yeah. Is that what we're? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so that's Catholicism, which have a few branches, maybe not officially, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we have the Orthodox. Now, that's very varied. That could take a long time to explain how the different Orthodox churches have come into being. But the Orthodox churches are basically the churches from the East yeah. that have embraced a particular stand, <coughs> separated out from what was the Roman church well, many centuries ago, and yet we have different expressions. Many of those trace their origins right back to New Testament times. So you get mm. the Antiochian uh, Orthodox Church, which traces back to the church in Antioch. You you know, in the Greek Orthodox churches, you've got that history that, that goes right back as and well with them. Do they hold on to more Jewish values? Is that, mm. is that what? I wouldn't say that particularly. I would say that they, they certainly hold on to a strong traditionalism that's based very much into that Eastern tradition rather than the tradition that's come through Rome. So you, you've got a very traditional approach there. And, and the Eastern st- tradition would be 
more well they've got Jude some Day. slight theological differences which we okay. would take a little bit to explain but <clears throat> what we're really looking at then is a is a whole sector of the church very strong in the east um and that has a has probably feels more comfortable when you ask them where they sit they would probably feel more comfortable sitting alongside catholicism sitting alongside a lot of the protestant expressions that have come into being okay so you could almost bunch them into two categories. No, that's going too no, far, no, isn't no. It? I think that would be pushing <laughs> it too far. <clears throat> so when we go as far as um, the, you know, the Far East and China, Japan, it, it, that stream that doesn't really take the same orthodox. That's more of a. It would when be you a go to the Far stream. East, you're looking at churches that have really come into being very often more recently through missionary endeavour. Yeah. So a lot of those would be certainly there was a huge Catholic missionary endeavour into China. And then there was a Protestant missionary endeavour into China as well. So you get Catholic and and um, Protestant churches in, in a lot of the places in the East as well. But Orthodox seem very much centred on the the, uh, the Middle Eastern areas. Yes, or and, and have had a really significant impact, really, yeah. in terms of holding the Christian faith in those areas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we and then we come to the 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 third main category, the Protestant denomination uh, of which you have been part of lots of them in, in a sense really haven't you um, yeah, I suppose and, so, really. and, and now you represent the majority of them uh, not well not the Church of England but aside from that yeah, the Church of England is a Protestant church although there are some yeah. people within it who who would like to take the term Catholic because of the particular traditions and the patterns that they mm-hmm. follow but actually it's established as a Protestant church. At the time the Church of England got established as a Protestant church, it was the time of the Reformation, so there are lots of other churches that were coming into being. Obviously the Lutheran church came into being in Germany, uh, and then the whole move in Switzerland led to a a Calvinistic church, which was replicated to some extent in Scotland. Um, In England the pattern was that the Church of England became a reformed Protestant church. But at the same time as that was happening, there were influences coming in from the continent. So it wasn't long before we got congregational expressions of church. And some of the Presbyterian expressions of churches, such as those in Scotland, were also being evident in England in the 1500s. So you'd already got a mixture by that time. Mm. Uh, You'd got dissenters that were coming in as well. There were times when, uh, well, Elizabeth I was the first one to have an act of uniformity, where she said everyone had got to worship according to the same pattern in the mm-hmm, country. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that was also brought in even more strongly with Charles II. So, you know, that whole pattern of dissent has been around a long time. The Puritans initially and then but they other all, expressions. they all come from the Luther movement. Uh, that- not entirely, because in some ways what was going on in, um, in Switzerland was to some extent, a little bit independent of it. Was, certainly Luther triggered something. There's absolutely no doubt about that with the 95 Theses. But there, there was a general feeling, and it had been bubbling up for a long time. So even in, in, in England, you've got people like Wycliffe, who was very much a forerunner of what was happening with Wesley. He was uh, with Wesley, with, uh, with Luther. He was questioning things that were, were happening even before Luther was questioning things. So, so you know, there was there was... There, there was the beginnings of, and, and if you look at something like the Moravian Church, that Where's came that? into being in Germany even before the Lutheran Church. So oh, okay. you've got you've got patterns all around the place. So these different denominations, mm. it seems like they started in a particular way, mm-hmm. um, and it seems like they are against each other. Ah. Uh, 
There was certainly a lot of tension between the Protestant denominations and the Catholic denominations at the time of the Reformation. Um, and that has continued to be expressed within some areas of Protestantism and indeed in some areas of Catholicism as well. There's a sort of, has been times of a mutual mm. uh, antipathy. But, you know, um, to actually pitch it that the Protestant churches have always been at odds with each other, I struggle with that a little bit because I do think that there has at times been a real respect for each other's differences. And uh, although there is a sense of, yeah, we may believe that what we are putting forward is better than what you're putting forward, I'd still think that there's been a sense of respect that has been around. Sometimes it gets missed out in church history. I think that there's a lot of the Protestant denominations that have had a respect for each other. Even when it started? Yeah, even when it started. Well, there were some tensions, weren't there? I mean, for example, when the Methodists started, um, because uh, Wesley and Whitfield were reaching out to the lower classes, that brought some reaction. And the same thing happened when the Salvation Army started. There was this, why are they bringing the rabble into the church kind of thing? So, yeah. But some of it wasn't over theological grounds. It was on some of those kind of issues as well. Yeah. But, I mean, we all believe in Christ, mm -hmm. right? And we seem to keep I, I just, it just looks like fallings out it looks like oh, i don't agree with you so i'm going to go and create my new denomination sometimes it looks a little bit like i, that, I can see it, it looks like that yeah yeah um and and that seems self-propagating well, it can be if, you, if you're doing it in that kind of spirit which believes that you're better than everybody else. Well, not necessarily, but if you, if you just don't agree with that, you are going, I'm against that and therefore going to start something new. Is it not possible that sometimes these things have come into being because it wasn't so much against what other people are doing but wanting to add something? So if you look, for example, at the Salvation Army when it got started... Yes, Booth had been a, a Methodist minister. There had been some challenges. He wanted to be part of the New Connection movement. But then he had a real heart to reach out to people that were the underprivileged in society. So he started reaching out there. So he wasn't actually stepping out against. If you, if you, if you want to say he was against yeah. anything, he was probably against everyone sitting in their pews and not getting out onto the streets. Which I get. But if I think if you asked any denomination, would you rather that all the churches just was like, okay, we'll join... Oh, Methodists. Okay. Yeah, I did hear someone once say... Like, they'd go, yeah, of course, then well, we'd be united. Yeah, well, I don't feel like that personally, but maybe just I'm different. But <laughs> you're you the know, SDG I, moderator. Yeah, I know, I used to carry in the bread. But I know that someone once said that the problem with the established church for most people is they're not it. So they'd be quite happy if they were the main one that everyone yeah. was part of. Okay, so you get that kind of thinking around. What, what, is, uh, what are dissenters? Okay, well... The, the various terms that crop up when you're looking at this, you can talk about dissenters, which were people that, particularly at the time of Charles II, when he brought in his act of uniformity, the Congregationalists, the Presbyterians, who weren't actually part of the established church that was uh -huh. the state church, the Church of England, were labelled dissenters. Because when there's an act of uniformity, those who don't actually go with the act of uniformity have to take a label, so they were called dissenters. Right. Later on, when the Methodist movement started, they didn't take the name dissenters. They were actually labelled nonconformists because they weren't conforming to what was expected of them. So you've got those two words that buzz around Rebels. within 
in <laughs> what you like the say? empire and the uh, rebellion yeah, we're going well, star wars territory again you Hugh. Uh, but well, yeah you got those two words the, <laughs> what is it now i can't remember resistance there we are brought into the new ones um that's what it sounds like a rebellion you think it sounds like rebellion, but I don't think it is. I think a lot of the time it's people either want to reach out in a fresh way, that they want to actually bring some fresh emphasis into the situation. And if they can do that and still respect each other, I think that's really positive. I think God's endlessly creative, so I don't have a problem with different denominations. But I would like to see more mutual respect, more mutual mm. accountability, really being prepared to work together. I'd love to see all so is that. So is that what the Free Churches group came from? Because that's a, a, a grouping together of dissenting denominations. Dissenting and nonconformist, if we're going to be precise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they came together, yes, because they wanted to do that, uh, that, that corporate expression. Yeah, definitely. Finally, on just this topic, uh, do, you, do you think God is happy with the church being split the way it is? I think God's happy with lots of different expressions. I'm quite convinced of that. I do think sometimes that the way we treat each other is something that doesn't really please God. But certainly the differences of expression don't seem to me to be a major problem. I think if you know, we take the scripture that Jesus said, I will build my church, um, yeah, well, let's build it with a variety mm. and difference. And I think God is building his church. And the fact that it comes up in different expressions is not a major problem to me. But I think that when we are shown the kind of antagonism that you've been talking about or the arrogance that you've yeah. implied or the rebellion, then yeah, I think that must be something that really grieves God heart, God's heart. We're meant to be known as people who love one another. <laughs> Today, when we look at the church, who is it for? Ah, oh, that's a great question. I love that. Because <laughs> I really believe the church needs to be outward facing. I believe that it's God's gift to the world. It's not just God's gift to a little huddle of believers. We're meant to be his expression. He talks about us being the light of the world. It's there for the world. It's there to actually make an impact in society, to make a difference. Now, a lot of the time those sermons get preached um, and everyone says amen, hallelujah, or just nods their head depending what denomination they're in. Um, what does that look like? Because we, we seem to talk a lot you know, theoretical stuff like we should be the light of the world. I have no idea what a light of the. Do you, do you know what I mean? If we actually yeah. look at it, does that mean going out with torches? Obviously not. But what does that practically look like? What is the church for? Yeah, I've got really concerned recently because I think the church has been in danger of misunderstanding the light of the world, and we've sort of become a searchlight men mentality where we're always trying to find what we can spotlight and say this isn't right. Um, but actually, I think the church is meant to be there as bringing general illumination. Actually, you know, we talk about light. It's not just the church that talks about light. People have got this idea that you, you want to see things, you want to understand things. So actually to bring some light into the situation actually makes it a lot clearer. That's part of what the church should be. If we're lights in the world, we're meant to be doing that. So and I'm yeah, going to we'll, push on that a little bit. Because yeah, do. Make what clearer? Well, what, anything clearer. I mean, you know, the divisions in society. You know, if the church is really shining as a light, it, it, it highlights some of these things, but can be done in a positive way so that there can be resolution. I, I just think that the whole, the whole ministry of the church needs to be bringing that sense into society that we are able to actually bring something positive in. Um, 
you know, we, the, the God himself is light. Mm -hmm. And so for us to talk about bringing light into the world, we want to bring something of that presence of God that makes a difference. Now, I know this all can sound like, oh, goodness, how do we unpack that? Mm. But I think that some of it is difficult to unpack terminologically, but we ought to be living it so that people could say, well, actually, I don't quite understand the terminology, but I can see the difference that the church is making. And that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see a church that's really making a difference in the world. By And, and church there, you're talking... The whole of it. Globally. Yeah, so really right you're talking about individuals. Well, it's, it's both, isn't it? I mean, you get this in and the Bible where it talks about both. Individually, we're lights in the world, but actually the church together also has that responsibility to bring light into the world. But be, because that's a bunch of candles, individual candles together, not the church yeah. itself, as we spoke before isn't actually anything other than a grouping, a gathering yeah, of individual candles. Yeah, I think that is true. Candles. I think that is what it is. But there's a sense in which when Jesus says, I will build my church, he had that sense in his heart, didn't he, of bringing something that was, was going to be light into the world. And is yes, that necessarily, it is made up of individuals, I agree. But I, I find that a bit... Uh, I don't find that very useful as a, a like an individual person listening. Mm -hmm. Because when we keep on talking about oh, the church is to be this, the church is to be that, I can say, yes, amen, and completely remove and then, myself then remove from, yourself it. from it. Because I then, go, yeah, the church should be that. Uh -huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do, exactly. But I do think that we can't suddenly take away the sense of church and put it all onto the individual. Because what we end up with is this kind of sense in which um, people want their individual testimony, mm -hmm. whereas actually if if Part of our testimony to the world is that the world's going to know that we're Christ's disciples because we love one another. It does move away from the individual aspect to the corporate as well. So the church should be a real example of how to relate because we should be the people that are loving one another. Now, that is true. It's a bunch of individuals that come together, but mm. it comes together with a corporate expression that makes a difference. And I don't know how to put it, but I've just got this feeling that, yes, the individual light that we carry somehow increases when we all come together. Not just because we've all come together, but because somehow there's an intensification of the light. Can't quite find the words for it, but I just think that corporate lumens. expression of church. Well, lumens is fine. No, yeah. lumens. Like, oh, yeah, that's like how you, you get on the light bulb. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. this is the power of a million candles. Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think that is sort of what happens. You could have sort of 50 candles come together, but when they come together, it's almost as if the light output increases. Yeah, I just. Beyond 50 candles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I get that. I, but for me, though, is that because we don't have the real ability to think corporately. Yeah. So maybe what we've got to do is we've got to think individually. We've got to say, now, you individually have got to be a light. OK, part of you being a light is that, yeah, you shine out there in the world, in the workplace, wherever you are, you know, just being who you are in Christ. But also there'll be an expression of that, that when you're relating to other people, you know, you, you, you show the love of Christ. But actually, when people see you relating to other Christians, they think, how how's that relationship work? Yeah. Because that's a two way sense of a, a flow of relationship and so when you multiply that in a church setting okay we are thinking as individuals that we want to shine for christ but actually the impact of it comes from being there together as church i think church has a huge impact do you think we're getting it right at the moment we're going in the right direction but there's a long way we can go yeah i think we're talking about the right kind of things i think that the church for a while went through a period where 
it was very inward looking, but I think we're moving away from that. I think we're looking outward again. I think the church realizes it's not just here for itself, but it's here to make a difference. I'm just getting concerned at times that the way we try and make a difference is by pointing out the world's mistakes rather than coming in to try and actually shed some light and be some solution in the midst of it. Is there a place for looking inward? Yeah, we've got to encourage one another. We've got to build one another up. So <clears throat> there will be times when the, when the church meetings, you might say, oh, how, you know, how would it be if everyone sort of from outside came in on this? Yeah, there will be times when there's a, a, a building up and inward communication. But I would love church services to be more outward looking too. So, okay, the, so it, on that, so yeah, church services. Yeah. Who or th- meetings or gatherings or y- whatever you want yeah, to call Yeah, sure. Who are they for? Well, I think the way, let's go back to the Bible on this one, because Paul was really quite interesting when he's talking about this to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth had obviously become a very inward looking church. They felt all of their meetings were just for them. And Paul says, you need to think about people who are coming in who don't have your background in all of this. They're, they're not there knowing what you're on about. And you've got to think about how you're communicating aware of that. I think that's an incredibly helpful way of looking at it. Yeah, the church is meant to be building each other up, but at the same time, they should be aware that there's a communication that needs to be going on beyond themselves to those that don't have that same level of experience. So churches should be open places where we don't sort of confuse, but Mm. sometimes we just need to explain why are we doing this? And so that people who come in just don't think they're they're, they're just crazy. We just need to, to be able to, and that's exactly what Paul says in that Corinthian letter. Make sure they know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in services, you've, you've either got like someone's either preaching or they're teaching. Right? Yeah. Um, and kind of, I don't know, my understanding of it is teaching is, you know, when you're talking to people who have already been preached at and are saved. And preaching is when you're talking to people who aren't saved. Um, that kind of, that, that's, I don't know, a very rudimentary <laughs> it's look an interesting at it. one. I'll sit with it for now. Because like, if you... I think you can teach people that, that haven't responded to the gospel and you can preach at people that have, but I'll go with what you're saying. It's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, good. Otherwise I'd be stuck. Um, so so on, on services, on church services, are we speaking to, are we meant to be teaching our in congregation who are already saved or should we be more uh angled towards newcomers who are coming in uh, in terms of letting them know because so many people don't actually know what christianity is about like it, they, they have no idea i think every time we meet we should be open to the fact that there could be people there who would benefit from a clear explanation of what's going on and we should keep people in mind and not just assume that everybody knows everything i think that would make a lot of difference to church i'd like to go beyond that as well So, do you mean a quick overview of the gospel no, not necessarily, but actually even even little things like oh, we're going to pray now. This is how we want to talk to God. You know, it's mm-hmm. because we just use we use words that mm. are, are not commonly used in, in society. So just the blood expert, of the lamb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd run out at that yeah, point. Yeah. Like, no, 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 just explain <laughs> I'm vegan. It. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, just explain it. Uh, you know, I think a lot of things could change if we just explained rather than assumed. But then I think we also ought to be much more 
purposeful in having those times when we are the church that's opened the doors widely and we're saying this is really like mm. introduction to Christianity almost. This is where we say this is what the gospel is to people that have never heard it. Health of course type thing. Well, or, yeah, but even Or even a service that, that yeah, just... Even, yeah, anything that just opens the door and, and like gives your Easter people services the and Yeah, you can like do that. anything like that. It's a shame that churches just leave it to Easter. And Christmas. Yes. There's a lot more to the year than just twice. You sure? Yeah. (laughs) Halloween. uh, Well, yeah, why not use that? (laughs) Thanksgiving. Okay, uh, let's get down to the problem. What are the problems (laughs) in church today? problems in church are the pretty much the problems we've always had communication how do we take what we know and share it effectively beyond the group of people that we're ministering to i think we see that right back in new testament times i think that they really were prepared to get out on the streets and have a go at communicating i think we we back off very often we don't know how to express what we feel so we'd rather say nothing um but i think that's a big challenge i think we are uh, a significant part of society but very often we're a very silent part of society unless we're protesting about something <laughs> much better to be out there being positive <laughs> and saying those kind of things yeah. so a positive church that's outward looking and communicating is something that we need but it's something that actually we struggle to get to so that's one of the problems that we face I know a lot of other people would say that it's very very hard to be the church in an environment where you know, people aren't necessarily taking Christian moral standards seriously and those kind of things. But I think the church was birthed into that kind of environment, and I, I don't think we should be intimidated by that. I don't think the church is meant to be a church that can only survive in a Christianized environment. We just need to be out there and be in what we're meant to be. Do you think uh, Christianity thrives in persecution? Well, it can thrive in persecution because I think that there is a sense in which what God puts inside each one of us can withstand a huge amount of pressure. And when the pressure comes, then people see just what God has put inside us. And I think that is one of the reasons why the church appears to thrive in the midst of persecution. But we don't need persecution in order to thrive. We should be able to express what we have without that. The other thing that can sometimes happen in persecution is that it actually under the pressure you can see some relationships breaking as well. You know, you'd like to see it all come together in a wonderful expression, but sometimes the church that's under pressure needs our prayers and needs our support because mm. we can all say, oh, you know, it's great when you're persecuted. It brings out what's mm. on the inside of you. But it can also bring out some of those areas which God's changing and haven't quite got to where we ought to get. Mm. So I'm not one of these people who prays for pressure, but when the pressure comes, I think we need to be able to show the life of God effectively. Um, Do you think that, you know, when the church got power, essentially, um, you know, essentially when Constantine made it the the state religion, uh, and then from there on we've had it, you know, the the Vatican, we've had the the, the Church of England, it's been very much in a place of power. Um, And especially now, as that is diminishing, do you think that was a problem? It's a tricky one, that one. <clears throat> I, there's something in me personally that thinks that the church didn't handle power very well. 
and that I think that... I think just that, look at the history books. Well, I think precisely, agree with you. they do agree with me, and that maybe that we'd have been better to have not gone down the route of taking that kind of authoritarian stand. There's a lot of other people that actually feel differently, I know that, but I think that, that, that if we're really going to express the 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 church as Jesus embodied it in his earthly ministry when he was saying look this is this is what I see the kingdom of God look like mm -hmm. then I'm not sure that despite the term kingdom where it sounds like a power move mm. that it actually does get expressed well through worldly power I mean Jesus said of his kingdom my kingdom is not of this world yeah and yeah, he's, yeah. so he's yeah. talking about uh, a way in which you can express his kingly authority in a different way from the world's power structures. And yet the church has been tempted over and over again to adopt the same kind of power structures as the world. And I don't think it's, it's helped us. I think we need to, to rediscover the, the true power which comes from the love of God. I mean, mm. Wesley said he didn't want to know any power except the power of God's love. And I think if the church went back to that rather than trying to embrace secular power, I personally think that that would be a lot healthier position. Yeah, because that's that's what I think a lot of the problems arise from is that we've that we've had that power, you know, as a church uh, corporately, and then because that's gone, we now are a bit of like, but but we said but we said do this, and like, we suddenly just, we it's just like, need to no one's listening. <laughs> we need to regroup really quickly. The church needs to think. Look. How do we yes. do that? Well, I think, first of all, by looking at the fact that you don't have to be in a strongly Christianized society in order to be an effective church. Mm. So instead of all our time complaining, let's, let's come together and say, look, we've got something to offer. We've got something that can really make a difference here and be prepared to offer that positively, not coming in a spirit of criticism all the time, but saying there's something positive that we can bring. That would make a huge amount of difference. To me, that would be much more like the pictures that Jesus used of the kingdom, that one particularly that comes to mind when he says it's like putting yeast in a barrel that then has an effect uh -huh. through the whole of it. Yeah. And a lot of the pictures that Jesus used have got that kind of diffusing through society uh, feel to it. And I think if the church was able to come to that kind of understanding and to regroup around that kind of model of reaching out and making a difference and, and, and be prepared to work together because, you know, it, it doesn't help if, if every different expression of church wants to do it in their own way, ignoring everyone else. I celebrate the differences that we have, but there are times when, honestly, what we have in common is so strong that we ought to just come together and emphasize that. And I think that would be a real blessing in many ways. Do you think that rests on leadership or on individuals? Unfortunately, I think it's, um, it often comes down to a leadership level. Huh. I think that very often at a congregational level, some of it is just like, hey, I don't understand the difference anyway. Why do we do this and they down the road do that? And it's the church leaders sometimes that are holding territory much more tightly. You know, we don't want to lose our numbers. Whereas if we were thinking much more in terms of actually God's kingdom is, is bigger than my little territory, that would be helpful. And I think sometimes we, 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 we fret over uh, what we call uh, church decline and, and sometimes it's just some denominations are in decline and some are in, in growth 
let's just celebrate the fact that God's doing different things in different ways and we can work together and benefit from one another. And the, um, finally, the, the, the churches of Revelation mm-hmm. that we see, mm-hmm. is that something God is speaking to us today? Uh, there are certain things about the Church of Revelation and those seven churches and the way that they're dealt with that I, I find really significant. I think the interesting thing is, first of all, that whether their light's flickering or their light's burning brightly, Christ is prepared to stand in the midst and identify with them. Mm. The great news for me is, no matter what state the church is in, God in Christ is prepared to identify with us and say, I'm still building my church. My church is still the light of the world. And he stands in the midst. I think that's really important. The fact that, you know, different churches had different problems. I mean, you know, there were two of them that seemed to be doing really well. The rest were struggling in different ways. Yeah, we could say that that's probably true today, that there are struggles. But in each of those uh, letters that go to those churches, there's a statement which says, and to those that overcome, to him who overcomes. So we assume that those churches were in terminal decline, but in fact, the whole purpose of the exhortation that the Lord brings to them is that they should come out of decline into a place of victory and confidence. And so I think wherever the church is at today, whatever state it's in, Mm -hmm. if it wants to identify itself with the Ephesian church or the church in Thyatira or whatever, let's look at the overcoming passage and say we can move on from that and be something more than that. The other point is that every one of those is hear what the Spirit says to the church is. And the interesting thing is, although the Lord was speaking to each church individually, he expected each of those churches to listen to what was being said to the other churches. Mm. Because there's a sense in which we pray for one another, we support one another, there's going to be a corporate expression in the end. So, so let's be committed to each other's progress. That's great, Hugh. Thanks very much. Well, uh, thanks, guys, for watching Honest Theology. Uh, We'll be back soon with our final episode, which is where we are going. If you're listening on iTunes or Google Podcasts, make sure you subscribe, like, leave a review, because it really helps. And also, we have a conference coming up, don't we, We do, Paul. Yeah, it's good. What is it? It's called move move and it's the 3rd of november 3rd of november and it will be a chance for you to speak rather than just ask questions oh, no. i'm just gonna ask questions to everybody no 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 uh, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to come on you're going to reveal what you think all right uh, and and where is it it's a cornerstone christian center in bromley mm-hmm. 3rd of november and details you can get on facebook yeah, you can get website. it on uh com forward slash move that's just with one o I realised that I could have done like a bit of a... About three hours in that one. Yeah, but it's just one hour. Um, So yeah, do come along. Thanks, guys, and take care.